Good evening. That is just honestly pathetic. Good evening. Uh, I'm Scott, and it's a real privilege to be with you tonight. I uh, I went to see Gilly uh, just before I came here, and we had a big pity party together about how we, we missed CE. Um, I grew up going to CE, finished with CE a couple of, uh, a couple of years ago, um, well, really last year. Um, uh, but then I also had to tell Gilly, haha, I get to go tonight, which was very cruel of me. Uh, but he uh, also, uh, as well as sending a big hello to Henry, sends a big hello to you uh, through me as well. Um, thanks for being here. It's really important at um, all seasons of life to, to come to places where you're going to hear God's word. Uh, and that's what we're doing tonight. We're not here to listen to some geezer who lives in Banbridge talk for a bit. Though you are going to do that. But primarily, we're here to listen to God's word. So can I ask you, just for the next wee while, listen up, put away your phones, stop flirting. And, um, um, and listen, listen up. Um, we're going tonight to Genesis. So we're going to the Old Testament, right back to the start. We're picking off where you left off last week, okay? So as we come to God's word, we need him to be with us because otherwise there ain't no point in us doing this. So let's ask God for his help. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, for this place. We thank you for this place that values you and your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you've been faithful here. You're faithful to so many people in this room that so many people here know that you provide for them. Father, would you be with us tonight? Would you teach us by your Holy Spirit? Would you soften our hearts? Would you open our ears so that we can hear what you have to say to us and then respond rightly? Father, we, we, we love, you, love you. Would you help us to love you more tonight? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's my wee daughter, Lydia. She is a darling. Is that wee cutie? No, no, no. She is a cutie. She's also a massive diva, right? She thinks she is a strong, independent woman. And I hope one day, yeah, I hope one day she will be. But for now, she's two, right? Three in a couple of weeks, but right now she's two. And the other week she was walking along and she was trying to, she was trying to balance, as toddlers just do, walking on something. And she was asked, Lydia, do you want to hold my hand? And Miley Cyrus must have been in her ear because she turns and says, I can hold my own hand, actually. And... And um, uh, pop quiz, what happens a two-year-old who's trying to balance that is holding her own hand? Yeah, she falls flat on her face. Yo, flat on her face. Something better was provided for her. She didn't want to know. She fell. Uh, and last week at CA, you looked at the fall, didn't you? Not the fall of a sassy two-year-old, but the fall of humanity. As Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden tried to tell God, I can hold my own hand, actually with deathly consequences. God had provided for them the way to live, a way, a way of life, his law, which is a perfect rule of righteousness, a way of freedom and fullness and vitality. But Adam and Eve, like all humanity after them, rejected God's law. They turned their back on God. They tr tried to provide for themselves. They sinned, which is anything we do think or say that goes against God's law. The things we do that we know we shouldn't, the things that we don't do that we know we should. God has said, do you want to hold my hand? And they said, I couldn't hold my own hand, actually. They fell. And so God says to Adam in Genesis 3, 19, You return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You will die. Tonight, right, you're in this room. You're young, full of life. You will die. And from this point onwards, in Genesis, you read time and time again about people who live and die. Genesis 5 gives us a big picture. Adam lived, and he died. Seth lived, and he died. Canaan lived, 
and he died. Mahalo lived, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. It reminds me of this clip from one of Henry Copper's favorite children. Death! Death is coming! Death is coming! It is! Death is coming. We can laugh about it, because that is funny. But death is the necessary... There's not... Death is the necessary result of sin. Death shows not just God's heartbreak, but his hatred of and his judgment of sin. Sin demands a price. Romans 6.23 tells us that the reason of sin is death. Sin is a problem because it's rebellion against a holy God. God requires justice for sin. Death is coming. And the story of Genesis rolls on. A story of death. It rolls on to Genesis 6, which is the story of the flood. You might know it as Noah's Ark. But Noah's Ark is a story of death, where God sends this flood over the whole earth to bring judgment upon the great evil of humanity. Genesis 6, verse 5 to 6 says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had met man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Now, not everyone dies in this flood because Noah was a righteous man, Genesis 6 verse 9. He was blameless in his generation, and God uses him to save others, to save others who identify with him, his family, and all those animals. God provides. But then even afterwards, even Noah dies. Here, here's the first thing that we need to get into our heads tonight, even before we get to Genesis 22, which Caleb read for us. We weren't created to hold our own hands. We were not made to be independent. The word of our culture at the, at the minute is autonomy, right? Being in control. People talk about bodily autonomy, personal autonomy. You'll, you'll hear this if you re- watch the news at all. Autonomy, autonomy, autonomy. It's a word of our culture. Let's get white and nerdy just for a second. The word autonomy comes from two Greek words. The first, autos, which means self. The second, nomos, which means law, autonomy, self-law. In other words, being a law unto yourself, making up your own rules. What happens in Genesis when God's law, a perfect rule of righteousness, which leads to life, is rejected for self-law? Death. We weren't made to be independent. God has provided a way of life for his people. God provides life for us and we, even we reject him time and time again, don't we? I, I know my own life. I know today. Today with my cute kids, I've met a pig's ear out of things. I can think of just far too many times where I have flipped the bird at God and gone my own way. Messed things up. We weren't designed to be independent. What are we doing? Well, eventually the Genesis story rolls on to Abraham. And in the story of Abraham, we see that God is not done offering his hand of health to his people. God is not done providing for his people despite their sin. Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3 shows the call of God to Abraham or Abram. It says this, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you see that? 
how is Abraham going to achieve blessing in this life? Who provides the blessing? Is it Abraham himself? No, it's God. God provides the blessing. God will make Abraham to be a great nation. God will bless him. God will bless those who bless him, curse those who curse him. God is doing all the providing here. As you read the story of Abraham, you might expect at this point, you know, he's going to be blessed by God uh, and all the blessings are just going to start flowing in. Except that's not really how it worked. He's not lying in a lighter with his sunnies on in a pool of cash, just basking in all this stuff. Now, he is blessed and he's blessed in material ways. But actually, one of the main ways that God said that he would bless Abraham and make his name great would be by making him a great nation and making his offspring as numerous as the stars. That doesn't happen right away. Actually, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, couldn't have kids. It was a physical impossibility for them. And Abraham tried to, well, he tried to hold his own hand, as it well. He tried to be independent. Abraham, even this Abraham that God pecked out, he went and slept with another woman to try and provide this offspring. I won't go into that tonight, but from the big story of the Bible so far, you probably know that didn't work out too well for him. And eventually, after going back to God and God's promises, Abraham had a son born to him from Sarah, his wife. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. Sarah was in her 90s. You, you don't need to be doing like A-level biology to know that that is a physical impossibility, don't you? Like that just doesn't happen. God provided. God provided this son, this son Isaac. This child of all of Abraham's hopes. In Isaac, all of God's promises to bless Abraham and make his name great and make him a nation and give him offspring would come true. God says this to Abraham in Genesis 21 verse 12, For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. In other words, through Isaac, all my promises to you are going to become true. All going to happen through Isaac. Which makes Genesis 22 verse 2, when Isaac is a teenager, all the more shocking. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. What? I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? Like child sacrifice? What sort of God is that? What sort of morality is that? Maybe you read that and think, if that's the type of God who wants me to hold his hand, I will hold my own. Thank you very much. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and kill him. Take your son Isaac, your only son, whom you love. That son that you waited and waited for and prayed and hoped for. That son that was miraculously born to you and his life. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and put a knife through his chest. What would you do if you were Abraham? This is the God who's promised to bless him. The God who has blessed him. This is a God who, who promised a man and wife approaching their hundreds that they would have a newborn son. He provided. And now he's asking for this. Abram's test is going to be put to or Abram's faith is going to be put to the test like never before. But here's the thing: Abraham trusts God. He knows that this is the God who has promised to bless him and who has. He, he knows that this is the God who has said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. There's not going to be any more offspring if Isaac is dead. 
Abraham knows this. So probably unbelievably confused. He sets off to Moriah with Isaac and all the gear that they needed for a park offering. Let's zoom in on the action. And as we do so, let's think well about what is happening. God, God has just not told Isaac to, or Abraham to kill Isaac, but to offer him as a burnt offering. Burnt offerings in the Old Testament was when an animal was killed and then burned completely. It was a symbolic sacrifice to make atonement for sin. It was a sacrifice for sin, a sacrifice of atonement. Atonement is a funny word, but what it literally means is putting two things together at one. At one meant atonement. Putting God and people together again. Making amends for sin. So sin is in the mix here. That's what's going on. And how is this sacrifice to come about? Well, look at verse 6. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went together. The wood being used in the sacrifice is laid on the son's back. The only beloved son had to carry the wood for the sacrifice up a mountain. The father is holding the instruments, the fire and the knife, the instruments of judgment. Now hopefully as you hear this, hopefully something's going on in your noggin. A sacrifice for sin where the only beloved son, the one in whom blessing will be provided for the whole earth, is carrying the wood for the sacrifice up a hill in order to face the Father's judgment. Does that sound familiar? Before we spell it out, let's keep on going in Genesis 22 for just a second. Abraham and Isaac, they're trudging up this hill of sacrifice, all the gear in hand, and Isaac turns to his dad and says, Genesis 22 verse 7, Behold, the burn the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? First, eight, we see the reply. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both well, they went together. Now, the reply here isn't, oh, yeah, uh, avoid that. Um, actually, Isaac, God's got something in store for you. <laughs> no, Abraham has faith that God will provide. God will provide for himself the lamb. Abraham has faith in God's promises of provision that will require his son to not be dead, but alive. The story continues. They get to where God has told them to go. They build this altar. And Abraham binds his only beloved son to a piece of wood. And who knows what was racing through Abraham's mind at this stage. In fact, forget Abraham. Who knows what was racing through Isaac's mind at this stage as his father ties him to some wood. As Abraham lifts up this knife to kill his only son, the son of blessing, this son of promise. He's about to die when God speaks. Do not lay your hand on the void. Do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then, verse 13, what do we see? And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. God provides. God provides. The sacrifice doesn't come from Abraham. The sacrifice doesn't come from Isaac. It comes from God. 
as God holds out his hand and says, this isn't for you to do. Take my hand. And what's Abraham do? Does he turn around and say, well, actually, God, I've got this, and plunge a knife into his son's chest? Does he what? And Abraham, we see, went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, pause and think for a second, right? Verse 8. What did Abraham say to Isaac would happen for this lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. What do we see in verse 13 provided? A ram. Ram, lamb, sound alike, look alike. A ram is not a lamb and a lamb is not a ram, all right? And then look to verse 14 to see what Abraham calls this place. The Lord will provide. Future tense. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Future tense. He's pointing to the future. God provided for Abraham, but the promised lamb was still to come. And as you read the rest of the Old Testament, you will see that God's people wait for this lamb. Prophet Isaiah. A lamb who would bear our griefs and sorrows, one who would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. This lamb that would be led to the slaughter. And as Jesus appears on the scene in John's gospel, how is he introduced? John 1 verse 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This Jesus, this Lamb, would live a life not of independence, but of complete dependence on his heavenly Father, God. A life with no sin, no wrongdoing, complete selflessness, a life of perfect righteousness and love and humility and goodness. He would be the Lamb of Genesis 22, the only beloved Son of God, the one in whom the whole world would be blessed. And he would carry up the wood for his own sacrifice as he carried the cross up the hill of Calvary, where he would be put to death and bear our sin to make us right with God. So we don't have to pay the price of sin ourselves. The whole story of Scripture points to Jesus and points to Jesus as the ultimate example of the glorious truth that God will provide. God will provide. Do you know his provision tonight? In your heart of hearts, do you personally know God's provision for you tonight? We weren't meant to be independent. And God offers us his care and his provision tonight. He provides you with complete cleanness, full forgiveness, eternal acceptance, and abundance of life and care and security. Will you take his hand? Or will you turn away and bear the price yourself? Because the reality of life is that sin is a problem that needs dealt with. And if we don't trust Jesus with our sin, we will bear the, the cost eternally ourselves. Away from God's love, in the presence of his judgment, do you know God's provision for yourself tonight? As daft as it would have been for Abraham to say, actually, God, I'll just kill my son instead of that. That's as stupid as it is for you to turn your back on God. 
Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death. But listen to this. That verse continues. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What God wants to give you tonight, what the God of this universe provides for you to deal with your deepest problem, is freely offered to us. The love of Jesus is given to us at a massive cost for himself, but completely free for us. The Lord provides. All we need to do is turn from our sin and turn to him. He provides. Like Sometimes I meet people who know they need God. This is one of the great frustrations as they're working for a church. I meet people who know they need God. And I think if we're honest, whether you know God yourself personally or not, we all know somewhere in our heart of hearts that we need God. And they, they know that they need the forgiveness that Jesus offers, but they're still skeptical about the Christian life. They look at Christians like, well, is that really what I want from me? Is that really life to the full? Like, is God really going to give me everything like I, I want or need? If I get in on this Christianity thing, am I not going to miss out? Uh, that's me and one of my dear friends. His name is Pastor John. He's one of C's prayer partners. And uh, John's about 20 years older than me. And when we get together, we like to eat. That's that's one of my hobbies and interests, food. And when we get together, we eat. Okay, And he always pays. He always pays. Despite trying, and this is true, I'm not a, I'm not some sort of like cheapo here. Like despite trying, I have never successfully paid for a meal with that man out of my own pocket. He always pays. The exception, the one exception, is that meal there, and um, that he allowed me to cover the cost of because Gilly gave me money to take him out for dinner, and just out of reverence for Lord Carson, he 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 accepted it. But he always pays, and as the bill is handed to him he does this every time he doesn't let me see the bill even though I've ordered the food I've ordered I know how much does it cost he doesn't let me see it and even though I know he always makes a scene joke his eyes go wide and then he exclaims well if I knew it was going to be this much I wouldn't have offered to pay and then he bursts into laughter and he thinks he's hilarious without feel now I'm not friends with that man for the benefits of food okay I'm not I promise you I'm not I'm friends with him because I think our friendship's a beautiful thing. I love him and he loves me. But in that friendship, I am provided for. He provides and as he does so, he knows what he's getting himself in for. Because I can eat and he encourages me in my gluttony. He knows what he's getting himself in for as he pays the price. He provides and he's pleased to do so. He's pleased to do so. Jesus, when he went to the cross, he knew what he was getting himself in for. The whole story of scripture points to that. He didn't get to the cross and look at you and say, I knew it was going to cost this much. No, he had his eyes open to the reality of your sin and mine. And yet being entirely aware of what it would cost him, he was pleased to provide for you. And so we're called to turn away from ourselves. To stop trying to be independent. We're we're called to stop seeking after, chasing after all the things that this world scampers after, hoping for a brief hit of freedom and fulfillment. But we're called to rest in Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and offers us eternal satisfaction 
and care. And get this, if Jesus loves you so much that he was willing to die, to suffer, to be tormented, to bear your sin, he was willing to do that when he was your enemy, when you were his enemy, when you opposed him, when you put him on that cross. Do you not think he's going to look after you now that he's your friend? Is he not going to provide everything you need for this life and the next? If he's one who dies for his enemies, think of how he treats his friends. Romans 8 puts it this way. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When we come to Jesus because of who he is, what he has done for us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we can have every confidence that he will meet our every need. We're not going to miss out on anything. He's going to give us all things. A life beyond our imaginations. As it says elsewhere, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places God provides, you will miss out on nothing and you will gain everything. Life is not to be lived independently. We're to look to Jesus. In the Christian life, the life of looking to God for his provision, it's not boring, it's not lifeless, it's not to be marked by worry or panic. When we are people who take the Lord's hand, we know the words of Genesis 22 to be true and life-giving. God will provide. Let's take hold of what he gives us. The prayer. Father, we thank you that you are a God who provides for your people, that you are the God who provides our every need in Jesus. Father, we thank you that you do that. We're not made to be independent. We're not made to do this life by ourselves. So, Father, help us to put sin to death. Lord, help us not to be so arrogant or to take ourselves so seriously that we think we don't need or want you. Lord, we need you. Help us to take your hand and live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.